The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm telling you, I have a special shout-out to Yoshiko Dart. And Yoshiko, you are going to love what I just did. I am in Delaware on-site at CSC, Computer Sciences Corporation, and just had the Bender Leadership Academy graduation. Now, for those of you that do not know, I have been doing volunteer work for 14 years training and teaching high school students with disabilities about the world of work, how to get a job, how to interview, but about leadership and standing up against bullying, believing in yourself, and knowing that if you have a disability, you do not need to be ashamed you have a disability. And I just want to thank Secretary Rita Landgraf, who attended today. Uh, Governor Markell has just been a great supporter. And you know what, folks? These students with disabilities need your support. They are brutally bullied. They have great ability. So don't forget about that when you're looking for an intern. And I happen to know that our guest today also feels strongly about this because she is on the California Committee on the Employment of People with Disabilities. I know her, and she's a really young civil rights leader fighting the fight for Americans with disabilities and proudly a 2003 Paul Hearn, a winner. She is an appointee of California Governor Edmund Brown, Jr., just a great person, Sarah Triano, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Joyce. Well, it's an honor to have you. And Sarah, since we have listeners everywhere um, who do not know you, why don't we first begin by how you came involved in the disability community? Sure. So um, when I was 12 years old, I was diagnosed with a hereditary and incurable primary immune system disorder. And um, after that point, you know, I all through high school, I really tried to hide my disability. I, I, you were just talking about shame, and I was extremely ashamed to be a person with a disability, and I tried to pass and pretend like I didn't have a disability until in 1992, um, I was invited to attend the nation's first youth leadership forum for students with disabilities that was held in California and sponsored by the committee that I'm now the executive director of, the Governor's Committee on Employment of People with Disabilities. And I went there, and it just completely transformed my life. I didn't want to go. My mother actually had to drag me there, kind of (laughs) kicking, because I said, Mom, I don't have a disability. I've overcome my disability. But, you know, I have a hereditary immune system disorder. It's incurable. It's not going anywhere. Um, and, but my mom had to drag me to this leadership forum. But by the end of the week, it, you know, she 
could barely drag me back home because of all the family and friends I had met at this youth leadership forum. I met adult role models with disabilities who taught me that I didn't have to be ashamed to be a person with a disability and that I could achieve whatever I wanted to in life with my disability and that I was, as a person with a non-apparent disability, a part of the disability community. Wow. You know, how about talking for a minute, just so other youth listening to the show, you did go through that period then when you were ashamed. Why? Why were you ashamed? I Well, I mean, there were lots of reasons why I was ashamed. I think primarily it was because of how I was treated. Um, after being in the hospital for a very long time, I came back to the hospital and there was a parent who thought that I had AIDS. And so she went to the school board and tried to have me removed from school. Oh, and my God. You're kidding me. No, no. And, and there was another experience in high school where I, uh, I had disabled plates on my car because there were some days when I was very, very ill and had difficulty walking. And so I had disabled plates on my car, and I pulled up to, you know, I drove to school, parked, and I got out of my car, and when I came back to my car later that day, somebody had glued signs to my front and back windshield that said mentally handicapped. So, you know, it was, it was those kind of experiences, that kind of bullying, it really is bullying, so that sends a message to kids with disabilities that you have to pass and pretend like you don't have a disability if you're going to survive in school, if you're going to be accepted, if, and if you're even going to get a, an equal education, your right to education. So... Um, I mean, that's the main reason why I was really, really ashamed. I also kind of felt like I wasn't disabled enough. Having, as somebody with a non-apparent or a hidden disability, I thought, you know, I, I, maybe I'm just not disabled enough, and, and I can pass and hide this. Um, so those, those are some of the reasons. Wow. Wow. Well, you know what? Isn't this sad? Isn't it sad that I'm not surprised? That's, that's the worst part about all of it. Well, I'm glad you overcame that and that you aren't embarrassed. So is that what caused you to become an advocate? What I mean by that, Sarah, many people have disabilities, but only a few decide, I have a disability and I'm going to be an advocate. What was it? What made you decide that? There were a, a few things that really propelled me to actually become an advocate. One was watching my mother. You know, as, as, I dealt, as I dealt with those experiences in high school, I watched my mom really advocate for me um, and just saw her example. But then when it came time for me to be my own advocate, it was natural, I think, because of that youth leadership forum for students with disabilities that I had attended. When I was there... You know, I got to meet incredible adult role models with disabilities like Brenda Primo, Catherine Campisi, Catherine Kelly Baird, and they taught me that as a person with a disability, I'm going to experience discrimination. It's, it's going to happen. And so they equipped me with the tools that I needed to be able to go out and really advocate for myself. And so, you know, after leaving the Youth Leadership Forum, of course, my first year in college, um, I had a counselor tell me, you know, they said, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a legislative analyst in the executive office of the president. And the counselor says to me, well, you know, I, I don't think that's a really realistic career goal. And given your disability, you know, it's, it's a very stressful kind of a job. And it, with your immune disorder, I, I just don't think you can really handle that. You don't really have the skills 
to be able to do something like that. And so interestingly, here's this counselor that's supposed to be helping me find employment. <laughs> and she ended up becoming, um, you know, it became my real first lesson in advocacy because I had learned at that youth leadership forum that I should never let anyone underestimate me or place limitations on my capability just because I have a disability. Like I said, they taught me I could be whatever I wanted as long as I had the equal opportunity to do so. Wow. Well, you know what? I hope everyone listening to the show is hearing what she said. And you know what? That is so terrible what people say. Hey, any of you career counselors, teachers, family members, do you know how horrible that is to say to Sarah what this person said? I mean, all you do when you do that is saying there's something wrong with you, that you're weak, you're inferior. That has got to stop. Well, Sarah, you are now, hey, what do they know, right? Because you're on the California Committee on the Employment of People with Disabilities, not just on it, but as the executive director. So whoever that person was that said that to you, if you're listening, well, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, But how about telling all of us what that is? What is the California Committee on the Employment of People with Disabilities? Sure. The um, California Committee on the Employment of People with Disabilities was actually created in 1947 as part of President Truman's Employ the Handicapped Week. Um, It it was after the war and, you know, a lot of veterans were coming back who were disabled and he started this initiative to employ the handicapped and so they created a governor's committee here in California And it's been in existence ever since. And the California Committee on Employment of People with Disabilities has has done some incredible things in its history, including the creation of the very first Youth Leadership Forum for Students with Disabilities, which is now a a model and being replicated in 33 other states in Puerto Rico. Um, But the committee itself, um, it's charged in statute with advising the Secretaries of Health and Human Services and Labor and Workforce Development in California on all issues impacting the employment of people with disabilities. And the mission of the committee is to achieve an employment rate um, for people with disabilities that's in parity with that of the general population. And Joyce, as you know, that's quite um, a goal and uh, a, a a difficult thing to do given that the labor force participation rate of people with disabilities is lower than it was before passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And in California in particular, it's one of the lowest in the nation. It's uh, 19% in California compared to 67% for Californians without disabilities. So the committee itself has a very, very tall order in front of it. Um, But they're they're working and they've actually developed a strategy on how to go from a 19% employment rate of people with disabilities to achieve parity. Not overnight, of course, but um, they have been working on a, an incredible strategy that I you know I'd love to share more with you about. Wow, well that is awesome, and you know I want all of you listening to the show right now to remember you can download this show. Um, and go to iTunes to get it so that you can share it with other people. But right now, we're going to go to break. If you just joined us, we're talking to Sarah Triano, the Executive Officer at the California Committee on Employment of People with Disabilities. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice. 
where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. At Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at benderconsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.benderconsult.com in the U.S. and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back, everyone. We're talking to Sarah Triano, who is the executive at the California Committee on Employment of People with Disabilities and an appointee of California Governor Edmund Brown, Jr. What we were talking about is is the California Committee on Employment and what Sarah uh, is talking about is how the employment of people with disabilities have gone backwards, which, surprise, surprise, since that's happening uh, everywhere. But, Sarah, speaking on this California Committee on the Employment of People with Disabilities. What are some of the achievements you have seen implemented for people with disabilities during this time? So, um, well, as I was speaking about, uh, for the committee itself, Joyce, um, the, the implementation of the Youth Leadership Program for Students with Disabilities, but let me get back to if it's all right with you. Can I can I tell you just a little bit about what the committee is doing to try and and change that? Yes, yes. Um, you know, in the national, you were just mentioning Governor Markell and Delaware, and 
in the National Governors Association report that came out, the blueprint for governors, um, it specifically had a couple of recommendations that California has, the California committee has really taken to heart and is doing some incredible work around. One is the recommendation that disability employment be integrated in the, the state's overall workforce development strategy. Um, and in California, we have a, a very strong workforce development strategy that's focused on sector-specific work, really looking at what are the high-growth sectors in our state where there's going to be jobs, you know, in 20 years. And um, the, the, it's focused on three specific industries, um, clean energy, advanced manufacturing, and health services. And the committee went through some strategic planning and said, you know what, one of the, the tremendous barriers that people with disabilities still experience to employment is impacted by the medical field, by health care. You know, <clears throat> in California, we have 2.8 million working-age people with disabilities. 2.2 million of them are completely out of the workforce. They're not working. They're not looking for work. They're not unemployed. They're, they're out of the workforce. <laughs> Some are receiving public assistance. And... Some of them want to work, can work, but don't because they're afraid of losing their health care. You know, you shouldn't have to go on welfare to get health care, but that's, that's a lot of what's happening right now. And, and there was a study done of folks with disabilities in California who were on public assistance and asked them in 2007, it was done by Dr. Steve Kay and the University of California, San Francisco, and the researchers asked them, why aren't you working? And they said, a, a large number of respondents said, well, we're not working because somebody told us we couldn't work. And when the researchers probed them further and said, well, who told you you can't work? 97% of the respondents said that they were told by a health professional that they couldn't work. Now, there are some folks with disabilities who have disabilities that might um, pose a barrier to employment, but there are many of us whose disabilities don't prevent us from working. And um, I can just tell you from my own experience, I went out on short-term disability a few years ago because I had a relapse with my disability. I was out for three months, and after, you know, we had addressed all of my health issues, and I was, I was ready to go back to work. And um, I had told my doctor, you know, I'm ready to go back to work. I need you to sign this piece of paper saying that I can go back to work. And she said, well, you know, Sarah... I really think you need to consider going on long-term disability instead. And I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> I want to go back to work, and I can work, and in fact, I'm being considered for an appointment by Governor Jerry Brown. I need to get back to work. And she turned to one of the other medical professionals in the room and said, you know, I think she might be hallucinating because of the medications. Oh, so the impact that the health profession has oh my God. on the employment of people with disabilities is significant. So in line with the NGA blueprint, the California members of the California committee said, you know what, we are going to tackle getting folks with disabilities employed in California's health services sector. Right now, um, people with disabilities represent only 3% of the workforce in California's healthcare industry right now. And they have taken it on a goal to really have an impact in that industry and to see, you know, just to imagine the transformation of the medical model, not from fighting it from the outside, but from the inside. 
You know, what kind of an impact would it have had on my physician if she had a colleague with my similar disability and she, you know, could see that that colleague was doing the job every day? Um, she might have said that that conversation about whether I go to work or get onto uh, public benefits would have been very different, I think. Yeah. And you know what? I'm right with you because I must tell you, I have, as you know, as everyone knows, you know I'm living with epilepsy, and what I do for a living is find employment for people with disabilities. I either hire them and put them on a contract with the understanding that after six months they will be hired, or I place them direct. And we are a for-profit company because, number one, I provide rich benefits, and number two, no pity. You know, I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, People don't need pity, they need paychecks. But something I run into frequently is someone who really wants to work and their doctor told them they could not. I mean, this just blows my mind. You know, it really does. These judgment calls where a physician will say, oh, you have epilepsy and you're not going to be able to do this because you won't be able to drive hey, there are other people that can't drive. There are other forms of transportation. But, I mean, there are things constantly that the medical profession say to people with disabilities. So I really applaud you for that, Sarah, because that's very important. Thank you. You know, it also has an impact on the provision of culturally competent care. Um, you know, if, if folks with disabilities are only getting care from a large number of people without disabilities, um, and some of the stakeholder input that the committee did here in California, we learned of a nurse at a hospital who is deaf, and she is in high demand among the patients because she is the only one on this cancer ward who can understand what, what uh, cancer patients who've been recently trached are saying because she can read their lips more accurately than anyone else. And she's improving the provision of culturally competent care in California. Um, so it, it goes to, it's not just about, you know, employment. It's also about all of us receiving culturally competent care. Right. Yes. And that is so true. What a difference that makes when the person has a disability. So, Sarah, you know something hot with me is the UN Convention on Rights of Persons with Disabilities. I will be fighting for this forever I, until it's taken care of, until it's ratified. I've had Governor Thornburg on. I've had Governor Ridge on, Tony Quello, Marco Bristow, um, Rhonda Newhouse. You name it, I've had them on the show talking about why we need the UN Convention on Rights of Persons with Disabilities. And I know you spoke about that at the UN. I wonder if you'd talk about that. Sure. So um, in October of 2012, I was invited by Victor Pineda, who is another... Another Hearn Award winner. Yes, and also another California Youth Leadership Forum alumni. Um, that's how we know each other. And he invited me to join him to speak um, at the Conference of States Parties to the Convention in New York and to speak on a panel specifically related to Article 27 of the Convention related to employment and Article 7, uh, which a lot of folks don't know about, but it's, it says that children with disabilities have a right to express their views freely on all matters affecting them. I, I mean, that's just 
that's revolutionary. That's incredible. So um, Victor and I got to go and we did a presentation on why the importance of programs like the one you just did in Delaware, the importance of the youth leadership programs to the employment of people with disabilities. Um, you know, because there's been studies that have shown that youth from other minority cultures who have a better sense of leadership, of, his, of their history, their cultural history, have better outcomes in education and employment. So, um, you know, we went, and first of all, I was, um, it was a great panel, and we had lots of other countries that were interested in starting similar leadership efforts within their countries. But it was, for me, incredibly embarrassing to be from the United States, you know, having, here we are, the, the meetings being held in the United States, but yet our country hadn't ratified the convention yet. Um, and then it was also interesting how very inaccessible the meeting itself was. I assumed be, because it was in the United States that the ADA would apply, but um, that's not the case. So, um, but it, it was a fascinating conversation, and um, we also got to talk about other provisions of the convention that are just fundamental and not covered within the ADA, like the right to bodily integrity and how that impacts um, folks with disabilities, such as the case of Ashley X here in the United States. Um, so it, it was a fantastic opportunity. It has to be, the United States has to get on board, and um, we need to all work to make that happen. I want to talk more about that, but why don't you take a minute and tell our listeners about Ashley? Oh, sure. So um, I think it was in 2007, there was a case of a young girl named Ashley X, um, in Seattle, and her parents had went to the hospital, Seattle Children's Hospital, and asked them if they would uh, do a treatment that they called the Ashley X treatment, where they removed her breast buds and her uterus um, and stunted her growth. They stunted her growth because they said um, they were afraid as she got older, she would be harder for them to carry around. Um, they asked to have her breast buds removed because they had a history of breast cancer in their family, and they asked for her uterus to be removed because they were afraid if something happened to them, she would have to go to a, an institution where she would be raped. She could be raped and become pregnant. But, you know, rather than address the social issues that are behind that, the lack of community-based care that folks with disabilities need, the, um, the abuse that's happening to people with disabilities within nursing homes and institutions in this country, um, you know, rather than address those issues, they chose to physically alter their child. And Seattle, it got through Seattle Children's Hospital's uh, ethics panel, and they did it to this little girl. And um, again, the UN Convention having provisions like the right to bodily integrity um, are, are key uh, to preventing situations like the Ashley X case. I remember that. And, you know, it's so horrific, even hearing you talk about it. It's so horrible because it is just monstrous. It really is. It's just unbelievable that we would, that's why we do need this. And, you know, folks, listening to the show, go to disabilitytreaty.org, get on board, Get on board to sign letters to your senators. You know it will list the senators you need to get in touch with that are opposing this. And I just want to tell you, Tony Quello, author of the ADA, when he spoke about this, he said, 
people with disabilities get mad. It's time to get mad about this and take action. You know what? You should get mad because it is embarrassing. It's, it's so shameful that we, the United States, ADA, would be not on board with this. It is just shameful. And, and I hope that you listening will do something about it. We're going to go to break right now, and then we'll be back to talk more to Sarah Triano. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Sarah. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. At Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at benderconsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.benderconsult.com in the U.S. and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com the internet's number one talk station number one talk station voiceamerica.com if you have a question or comment call in toll free at 1-866-472-5788 now please welcome back the host of disability matters here's joy spender Hey, welcome back, everyone. We're talking to Sarah Triano, and Sarah and I were talking at the break about Yoshiko. So, Sarah, do you want to shout out to her also? Oh, absolutely. Yoshiko Dart, if you are listening, I love you, (laughs) and thank you, because I am where I am today, thanks in part to your, your leadership and your support, and thousands of other young folks with disabilities as well. Yes, she is the best. I told you, we love you, we love you, Yoshiko. Well, you know, one more thing about that uh, CRPD, that a group of senators would see Senator Bob Dole on the floor the day of the vote and walk past him and vote no is so shameful. It is. It is just so shameful. 
The man came just for that, 90, frail, and actually he put on Justin's hat for a short time period, but here he is on the floor. You can walk past him and vote no. Unbelievable shame. I can't even believe you did that. And one thing they started, Sarah, remember that line about um, children have the right to express themselves, what you were talking about? Yes. That turned into we're going to stop homeschooling. Right. And right. Senator Harkin told me the calls were 15 to 1. 15. Don't let this go through because of homeschooling. Hey, folks, that isn't true. That is not true. So the next time this happens, please don't let it be 15 to 1. Let it be the other way around. You've got to take action. You know, sometimes people say, oh, I don't have to do anything. Other people are. Not true. Every voice counts. Every voice. And Sarah, wow, you had something unbelievable happen because then you got to speak in South Korea. Wow. Very impressive. So what was that like? Yeah, so after I was at the um, UN, after Victor and I spoke at the UN conference, then I was invited to go and speak at the Asia-Pacific Disability Forum Conference in Incheon, South Korea, and I I actually got to represent Marka Bristow because she couldn't go. She's my former boss at Access Living and uh, one of my role models. They were celebrating the Asian-Pacific Decade of Disabled Persons, um, and uh, you know, you were just mentioning the arguments against CRPD, you know, that it was going to stop homeschooling. And, and one of the things that really hit me when I was in South Korea, I, I heard from other disability activists from the Asia-Pacific region. And, you know, one of them shared with me about the 20% of girls with disabilities in the Asia-Pacific region who get an education and 80% who don't get any education and it just showed me how incredibly privileged we are in the United States. Um, you know, to, and, and I wrote a letter to some of the um, opponents of the CRPD, and I said, you know, part of what we're about and part of what you teach in homeschooling is making life better, not just for yourself, but for other people. And what you're doing is stopping, you know, these 80% of young girls with disabilities in the Asia-Pacific region who are getting no education at all, and let alone homeschooling. <laughs> so it was, it was an incredibly um, humbling, very eye-opening experience for me. Um, and what was really excellent, even though we spoke different, a different language, um, one of my hobbies is rap. I like to do um, raps, write rap and perform raps in my spare time. And um, I performed one of my raps there, and we connected um, the the other one of the other activists on the panel from Pakistan behind me started doing a beatbox, and then um, one of the activists from South Korea who was on the panel with me started singing some background tunes <laughs> while I was rapping. So it was it was cool to connect with other activists also working on the CRPD around the around the world. Wow, that is so cool. So are you going to rap right now? <laughs> I wasn't prepared to. But. That's all right. I'm just teasing you. Hey, um, Sarah, I went and represented the United States through the State Department in Panama talking about the employment of people with disabilities. And just as you said, 
Oh, my God. People can't understand how far behind people with disabilities are in other countries. I'll never forget when this one woman said to me, it's not about um, getting a job. For me, it's about surviving. And different parts of the world, like South Korea is a good example. What what were they, these advocates like when they met you? Did they have like tons of questions about the United States? You know, what was really interesting is they, they were, um, they were really, they really loved the fact, uh, I was representing an independent living center. I was the executive director of the Silicon Valley Independent Living Center at the time. And they were um, really interested in the fact that we, as independent living centers, a majority of our funding was coming from the government. And they were asking some really uh, very pertinent questions, like how can you do the kind of cutting-edge advocacy that you need to do if you're receiving the majority of your funding from the government? You can't, you can't advocate with the government if you're getting funding from the government. So it was, um, that was you know, something they were interested in. But they, it was also just talking about issues of privilege, as Americans, we don't realize how much we do have um, and, and how we could join together and support each other. So just recently, um, there was an, uh, an event in South Korea where the police, on the day of, it was celebration of people with disabilities in South Korea, and the police actually tear-gassed a lot of the activists. Oh, my goodness. And they reached out to me and some other folks in the United States and said, we need you to reach out to our government, you know, say, say something about this. And, and we did. And so it opened the door to being able to support each other, them and the, they're supporting us on many issues too. Um, it, it was just an incredible experience. Wow. Yeah, I always say, you know, I have epilepsy and I always say a seizure is a seizure no matter where you are in the world. These are all our brothers and sisters, no matter where they are in the world. A disability is a disability, and that is what makes us family. So I think that's so great you did that. And, you know, for all those people in South Korea, this show is replayed all over the world. um, And I just, my heart goes out to you. Well, Sarah, how I first knew you is you were a Paul Hearn Award winner which is such a prestigious honor. What, what did that mean to you? You know, it, it was a tremendous honor, um, particularly given all that Paul Hearn had given to our community in the area of employment and, and other areas. But for me, it was also, I saw it as a tremendous opportunity to address one of the biggest problems that I was seeing as the youth team leader at Access Living in Chicago we had developed the nation's first locally-based leadership development program for youth with disabilities, intensive leadership development program. It was 16 weeks. And we would go out into the public schools to recruit young folks with disabilities for the leadership program. And we would go to special education classes. And the kids in those classes would say, well, this is a great program, but I don't have a disability. These are kids who had individualized education plans, They're in special education classes, but they refuse to identify as being people with disabilities. Wow. And the the level of internalized oppression and shame that they had around their disability was just, it was this huge barrier. And so I saw, you know, Judy Heumann was my mentor for the Paul G. Hearn Award, and she and I talked about it, and I said, you know, 
Chicago is a city of parades. We, we've got to get out into the public view and send a message to these young folks with disabilities that you are beautiful just the way you are. You don't need to be changed. You don't need to be cured, fixed, whatever. You're a beautiful human being just the way you are. Um, so I said, let's get, a, let's get a parade, a disability pride parade going in Chicago. And with the Hearn Leadership Award, the seed money that I got from that, I was able to work with a group of other incredible activists in Chicago to start the nation's first disability pride parade um, in 2004. And, um, and, and the parade is still going and it's actually also happening in Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, Colorado, California. It's in South Korea. Germany and Ireland is starting their own Disability Pride Parade this year. And it's, it's changing the lives of young folks with disabilities. You know, at that first Disability Pride Parade, I marched with a group from Access Living called the Empowered Fifis. Uh, Fifi is slang for female, and it's a, a consciousness-raising group from young, for young women with disabilities created by Susan Nussbaum. I was marching with the Fifis, and at the end of the parade, um, I turned to one of the Fifis. She had brought along some of her non-disabled friends with her, and I said, so, you know, what do you think of the parade? What do you think of the day? And the friend without a disability said, you know, oh, this was so cool. I wish I had a disability today. And to me, if we can start to get young folks with disabilities to really embrace their identity, embrace who they are, um, you know, we've started to make that cultural shift and that's going to impact their education and employment. Wow. You know what? I had someone, when they were with Tony Quello and I, and we were really just so fired up about something, this person said to me, oh, too bad I don't have epilepsy. And you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Here it is. We need our own culture. Never to be ashamed. Now, I want to tell you something, Sarah. I went to one of those parades in Chicago. Oh. Yes. And I was marched in it. Which one did you go to? I went to one that I think Tony Quello was in. Yes. He was the Grand Marshal one of yes. the years. Yes. And it was so exciting and so impressive um, and I, I just really commend you for coming up with that idea um, and doing that I just think that was so just wonderful that you did that so kudos to you thank you and, and I loved you. it by the way I loved every part of it well, so okay. everyone listening to the show, you should be following her lead. We should have this everywhere because, again, disability pride, not disability shame. Disability pride is what it's all about. So were you surprised when you got the call that you won the Paul Hearn Award? Oh, very much so. I was excited, though, and, you know, the first thing I did was call Judy because um, we had worked very hard on my proposal together, and I, I said, we're, it's going to happen, we're going to do it. <laughs> and um, the Grand Marshal for the first Disability Pride Parade was my my role model, Yoshiko Dart. I remember. I remember. I remember that. I was not there for that. I wish I could have been. But I remember that uh, she went to one of those and that it just was so great. I want to tell you that AAPD Gala, 
I refer to it as the Academy Awards of the disability community. We have this powerful, beautiful gala, and we have everyone there, Yoshiko, Judy Human, uh, you, people, you know what I mean? We have all these great Ted Kennedy Jr., all these great disability leaders there, and then we have these Paul Hearn Awards, which... I just think is so awesome recognizing the talent of someone living with a disability. And I'm sure you two were very impressed when you saw that crowd out there. I was. And, you know, again, it gave me the opportunity to meet some of the people who I had just read about in Joseph Shapiro's book, No Pity. <laughs> a great book. Isn't that a great book? It is. Everyone should read that, No Pity, so you get the history from the beginning. Great book. From Ed Roberts on, really great book. Uh, actually, I think it starts with the story about Jerry Lewis. I remember this book, so everyone should buy it. Shapiro from NPR. But anyway, okay, getting back to you, our discussion, Sarah, so who is your role model? Well, you know, it, it's hard to say just one person because I've been very fortunate to have been mentored by many, many incredible role models. And, you know, one of my strategies was I need to find people who are movers and shakers who are making change, and I need to work with them and learn everything I can from them um, and purposefully seek out opportunities to work with these folks. So I've had the honor of working, you know, with Paul Longmore, the um, historian, um, Mark Bristow, Andy Imperato, but um, at the end of the day, I think I, I said it, and I think the person who is really my role model is Yoshiko Dart, not only because she has really ingrained in me the importance of giving back that support that was given to me when I was that young person with a disability who was ashamed to be who I was, uh, not only because of that, but because she and Justin taught me about the importance of love in the disability community and in the work that we do, and not just for each other. Um, I remember I, I was one of the co-founders of the National Disabled Students Union when I was a student at the University of Illinois at Chicago. And at the time, um, the Supreme Court had just come out with their decision in the Sutton case um, and said that, you know, some folks who have mitigating, who can have mitigating measures are not considered disabled under the Americans with Disabilities Act, and that included me. And a lot of the students in my school, we were very angry about that, and we did a nationwide leave-out of our classrooms, like a walkout, but a leave-out, we called it a leave-out, in protest of that Supreme Court decision. And I remember Yoshiko and Justin calling me before we were going to do it, and they said, you know, Sarah, what you really need to do is call up Jeffrey Sutton, the opposing, uh, the person on the uh, opposing side, and, and you need to take him on a nationwide tour in a car and have him see the, really experience the kind of discrimination that people with disabilities have, including those with disabilities like yours who use mitigating measures, and, and take him and love him, Sarah, see the potential for change within him. And at the time, I remember saying to Yoshiko and, and Justin, you know, you're crazy. I'm not sitting in a car with Jeffrey Sutton for all these hours. I don't love him. He's, he's hurting me and my community right now. But at the end of the day, that's really what it is about. It's not about fighting other people. It's about 
loving them and seeing within them the possibility for change and to become an ally and supporter of the disability community. And for that life lesson, I am forever grateful to my role model, Yoshiko Dart. You know what, Sarah? I have said this so many times now. One of the big failings in our community is people fighting within the community. In other words, people with my, uh, I've, got to, I've got to take care of my territory, my pot, my whatever. I don't want to lose funding. I know this person, you don't. Uh, that's got to go. Because if we would all work together, think what we could accomplish. And what I always say is we need Justin. Justin was the ultimate unifier. Justin was and Yoshiko all about love and really would nowhere near be doing any of this and would figure out a way to get us unified because too many people, I'm not going to talk to this person because they're not helping me. I'm not going to talk to this person because they have a relationship with this corporation and I want to have this relationship. And I'm not going to talk to this one because we need funding and I don't want them to have funding. All of this really if we all work together, think how powerful we would be. So, great example and great story you gave, Sarah, talking about that. That is so true. Well, you, you have already, wow, your story is unbelievable, Sarah. Thank you. You have accomplished so much in your life already. But what would you consider your greatest accomplishment? Well, you know, I would say professionally, I have yet to achieve it. <laughs> um, but personally, my greatest accomplishment in my life has been the birth of my children. Um, I was told by doctors that because of my immune disorder, I would not be able to have children. And today, I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old, and they are beautiful, and they bless my life every day. Um, and to me, just the process of going through, you know, telling the doctors, no, I, I can do this. I can do this. We can make this work. I can do this. Um, and raising them when, when I was told I couldn't, that, that to me is my biggest accomplishment. And a great accomplishment that is. A great accomplishment. There isn't anything like defying those laws with two beautiful human beings. That is such a wonderful story. So, you know, I did not and I will not have time to go over everything with you, but, uh, Sarah, I just think you're awesome. And I hope every one of you young people listening see Sarah Triano is a great role model and someone that you can follow. So, Sarah, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? Um, I think there's two things that I, I would say. One, in the work that I'm doing right now, I, I really see a need for people with disabilities within uh, elected positions. Um, and we need to get more folks with disabilities elected. It's critical to the work that we're doing. But, you know, it's not just about disabled faces in high places. <laughs> um, it's also getting back to that question of identification. You know, in the LGBT movement, they had a real community-building pride effort prior to passage of any kind of significant civil rights legislation. And I think in the disability community, it's kind of been the opposite. We had the passage of the civil rights legislation, but we, we still have many people without disabilities out there who are very ashamed to be who they are. And now, particularly in light of the 503 regulations, it is so important 
that we as folks with disabilities come out and say, yes, we are people with disabilities, we are beautiful the way we are, and you're an employer and you need me, and I'm going to openly identify. Um, That's the message I would send, particularly to people with non-apparent or hidden disabilities who may be afraid to openly identify to employers. I would say, do it. It's to your advantage. You have Yes, you may experience discrimination, but that's the only way we're going to uncover it and address it. Um, and right now, those employers need you. Right. They do, desperately. And, and Joyce, I, I just really want to thank you for your service to our community, for everything you've been doing, um, tirelessly working to increase employment of folks with disabilities. Uh, it, it's just been an honor to talk with you. Well, thank you. It definitely takes all of us working together, doesn't it? It does. Well, Sarah, I thank you so much. This has been Sarah Triano, Executive Officer of California Committee on Employment of People with Disabilities, and as you can see, a national civil rights leader for people with disabilities and a Paul Hearn Award winner. Um, Sarah, before we end every show... We always end the show with a quote from someone in the disability community, someone that has made an impact on everyone. And by the way, you won't believe how many uh, quotes that I get sent in to me from various people about having, you know, an impact on people with disabilities. And I just want to say keep doing that because, wow, We need to get our word out there. We need to get more people behind us. And remember what Sarah said. We need our own history. We need our own disability culture. And I want all of you to fight the fight for that every single day because the more we work together, the more that we can get accomplished forever. So today... We have to end the show with a quote from a great civil rights leader. And I just want to mention to you that this great civil rights leader uh, was listed with Helen Keller, all these other great leaders under disability quotes. Ready, everyone? Although there are many barriers facing people with disabilities today, The single greatest obstacle we face as a community is our own sense of inferiority, internalized impression, and shame, said Sarah Triano. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you all next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader in Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.